Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, my guest this uh, episode is Andrew Hay, uh, who is uh, uh, now in Austin. But uh, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, let you uh, give a little bit of background on yourself, and you can maybe talk about uh, how you got from uh, point A to point B. <laughs> yeah, by way of points, C, D, E, and F. <laughs> uh, so my name's Andrew Hay. I'm the COO at Lares. Uh, where we do penetration testing and red teaming and uh, virtual CISO services. Uh, I've been here for all of a month. Um, and like Tony said, I moved to Austin in September from the Bay Area, um, where I worked for, among other places, uh, OpenDNS, Cloud Passage, um, Data Gravity as a CISO, uh, I'm originally from Canada, so I've kind of moved all over. I was I've been in the the U.S. for seven years now, and uh, I've worked in universities. I've worked in a bank in Bermuda, where I I actually lived in Bermuda, working there. Uh, and uh, I was employee 34 at Q1 Labs, which is now IBM. So I've kind of been doing this for a while, and have moved all over the place for the security industry. Well, and 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 probably a little bit more moving than than a lot of us. Um, yeah, well, my my wife told me that uh, you know when I accepted this job at uh, Lara's, which is based in Denver, uh, her first words out of her mouth was, "We're not moving again." Like, <laughs> no, no, I know it's a remote job. I don't have to move again. Like, we just unpacked everything. Yes, I know, dear. So yeah, moratorium on moving for the next little while. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for those who, who on, uh, in the audience who may not know, I am also in Texas, but I'm in uh, in, in the Houston area, and uh, I would say that you know Den- Denver is one of my favorite places. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with her on the not moving when you haven't even finished unpacking. You know, like you know, give it give it a few years, and then maybe Denver's okay. But as but if you're gonna live in Texas, Austin is the place to be. It is a, a cool town, although the uh, it's starting to heat up and. <laughs> I thought I left all the heat and humidity behind me in Bermuda, but now it's coming back to haunt me. Yes, yes, you'll you'll get uh, you'll get plenty of heat. You know, <laughs> there's no shortage of heat in Texas. Um, so okay, so so you're you know you're you're at Lares, you're doing uh, penetration testing and red teaming, um, and you, <clears throat> you also talked about virtual virtual CISO, and that's the thing that you know when you and I were at the. Houston Security Conference, uh, we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to get into that a little bit because I find it interesting because it's a little bit like, you know, I, I, you know, I have a day job at AlertLogic doing the blog and social media and, you know, content marketing in general for AlertLogic. 
Um, but I've also got Techspective and I've got, you know, I write for Forbes, I write for DevOps.com. And then I'm also working with a variety of, you know, tech and cybersecurity companies doing content marketing type stuff. And, and you know, I look at it like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies that need content marketing. I mean, they all, they all need it to, to some extent. Um, they, so they need someone to, to help with writing content and coming up with a content marketing strategy and e- executing on that strategy. And just as, just as with like, you know, say doing office 365, as opposed to buying office outright or whatever, or, you know, using a, a you know, like using a, uh, managed security service, uh, or security as a service like alert logic, as opposed to trying to do it all in house. For most of those companies, it makes way more sense, both financially and strategically, to work with me, as opposed to trying to hire their own in-house writers and, and build all that from the ground up. It's like I already, I already know what I'm doing, and I and I and I do this for a number of companies, and I, you know, so so I, I know the lay of the land. I'm an expert in this area. And you can get me for a fraction of the cost of what it would cost for you to hire people and try to do it in house. And I imagine it's similar on the CISO side. So let you know, tell tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and it's so. What's funny is that the first time I ever ran into a a part time or fractional executive was when I was at Cloud Passage, and we had like we were a small company, um, still a startup, and we had a part time CFO. And I thought to myself, how, like, there has to be enough work for a full-time CFO. This is, you know, this is crazy. But it turns out that this gentleman was managing, you know, the finances for Cloud Passage and a couple of other clients as well. And, uh, you know, fast forward to the last two, three years, and the the concept of a part-time or virtual or fractional chief information security officer has just exploded because a lot of organizations know they need a a security executive on staff. Um, Just as many organizations are in either parts of the country or parts of the world where they cannot entice someone to come in uh, and do the job full time. And likewise, they may not have enough work for an individual to do it full time. So the idea of having a virtual or fractional CISO is is very appealing because they can, you know, just like cloud instances, they can spin that person up or down as they need it uh, or as they need them uh, and make it more project oriented. And that individual can do everything from really steer the ship uh, if there was a previous CISO um, that has developed a program so they could just make sure that everything's right in the world, they can act as a bridge between uh, hires of a CISO or they can come in and build a program from scratch. And that's uh, a lot of the organizations that I've worked with in the past, that's been the case where you know they like they may be a small credit union or a small mid-market financial company in the Midwest. And it, it's not something that someone that has 
20, 30 years as a Fortune 50 CISO says, you know what, I'm going to go work for this, this smaller company at a fraction of my salary in a full-time capacity. Uh, so they're, they're having a really hard time getting qualified individuals to take those full-time jobs. So they are looking to the industry for this virtual fractional part-time CISO resource to help them get up to speed when it comes to security, not just from a tell me what tools to install and what tools to buy and what training should my IT staff go on, but you know what, what does a security policy look like? What do I do in the face of an incident? Um, what, you know, if we get hit with ransomware, what's the procedure to recover from that? So there's, it, it's, it's a big job, but it's something that can, can honestly be done in a virtual fractional capacity for a lot of organizations. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to, uh, Underestimate the, the the importance of the CISO in 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 comparing you know my part time content marketing uh, you know is not quite the same because I mean the CISO is also the one in, in a lot of organizations who's the you know the the default scapegoat or fall guy when uh, when the stuff hits the fan and uh, you know so 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 my 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 burden in terms of the uh, success or failure of the company is much lower. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, but but still, like you said, it's like you know, I, I, I don't want to slam executives in general because this is actually actually isn't even a, a slam on executives. It's just, in my opinion, the reality of corporate life is nobody you know people can drive to work or you know commute however they commute. And be there eight to five or whatever, and do their forty hours a week or fifty or sixty hours. I don't care. But I think if you go in and you break down actual work, that it is a fraction. Like you can be paying a full, for a full time employee, you're still getting a fractional employee, whether you paid full time or not. In, in my <laughs> opinion, because um, people are you know, they're, they're you know going to lunch and they're on smoke breaks and they're hanging out talking about uh, you know the 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 basketball game last night or whatever you know idiotic going thing Trump did this week going to meetings yeah I mean so there's, there's so much wasted time and so it's like if you boiled down the actual productivity and you said look I just want I I don't want to pay you for the other thirty hours of you know talking with your coworkers and 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 hanging out. I just want to pay for the 10 hours where you're actually doing something. Yeah. And I, so I've run into organizations where they have honestly, you know, the first couple, I'd say the first two months, they may need someone one day a week or maybe a couple days a week just to get the program kicked off. But after that, they can go down to a half day a week or one day a month, a half day a month, depending on their size just to make sure that you know the wheels keep turning and the lights stay on. And one thing I'll say about the, the virtual CISO is that person is brought in to not just be the voice of security, they're also there to be the interface and the translator between the technical aspects of the business and the 
the really operational state and objectives of the business itself. So they're not just, you know, pushing, oh, we need to buy this, we need to buy this, or, you know, security is the most important thing in the world. You need to have someone that understands the purpose of the business and why it exists and be able to translate that into the technical controls and the policy framework to make sure that anything you implement is adhering or contributing to the overall success of the business. And I I find that's where some of the conversations I've had have stalled because they say, you know, we've got, we've got Jimmy, he's, he's our desktop technician. He also handles security. And I say to them like, well, you know, does he present metrics to the board on the success of the security program? And they say, well, we're not quite there yet. We, we don't really need to invest in that. Or, you know, if we have a question, we just ask Jimmy. Jimmy gives us an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> well, th- that might be good enough for, you know, the smallest of the small organization. But as, you know, technology is becoming far more prevalent than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago, customers and partners are starting to ask, of their companies they're dealing with, you know, what what do you do for the security of my data? What do you do for the security of our partnership and the the sharing of information between our companies? So that's maybe not something that Jimmy is able to answer because they may not have the idea of what the business is trying to achieve and be able to relate to it in a technical perspective. Not to slam Jimmy, but, you know, Jimmy could be a very technically adept person, but unless they've been in that role or have had at least exposure to that whole spectrum uh, from the board down to the trenches, then they may not be the right person to build and manage a security program. Right. Well, and, you know, you, you talk about how, you know, when you're when you're starting up, you know, you, you need a little bit more and then, there, you know, gets gets to a point where it's kind of coasting on its own uh, under its own power. And, and you only need to, you know, that virtual CCO to come in, you know, once a month or whatever. Um, but even in that scenario, I, I imagine and you can correct me if I'm wrong. That he's still a phone call away. You know, if it's if it's two weeks into the month and, and, and something seems, you know, whack. Uh, you know, you can pick up the phone and call them and be like, yeah, we might need you to come in or, you know, I, I need you. I need your input on this. Yeah. Yeah. And so a, a lot of organizations, um, ours included, will sell either a block of time or a zero dollar retainer, just like um, a lot of the incident response firms do, where if you have a question, whether it be an incident or an architectural review or even you know, third-party documentation review for a potential partner. That's something that, if it's time-sensitive, that can be inserted into the current workload of that virtual CISO, and they can adjust accordingly. Yeah. Well, and, and so then, and to kind of touch on back on something else you you you'd mentioned, one of the advantages I think, um, uh, you know, when you're when you're talking about uh, Jimmy, well. Jimmy, aside from being, you know, not having a, 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 as as much experience and, and as broad a scope of knowledge as your, you know, uh, theoretical uh, virtual CISO, also has a, you know, limited view. Uh, he, he only knows what's going on in that company. 
And what I think you get from a virtual CISO, from someone who's, who's, who does that for a living and does that for a, a variety of companies, or, or again, similar to what I do, doing content marketing and content marketing strategy for a number of companies, or what Alert Logic does, or McAfee, or whatever, is you know you get these benefits of you know it, it, uh, of sort of crowds not crowdsource but broader a, a broader range of input. Um, yeah. So like you know I mean when I was working in the trenches you know, doing security, you know I only had access to my stuff. I, I could see what was going on in my environment, um, but. The McAfee's and the Qualys's and the Alert Logics of the world have customers all over the world, and they've got you know socks that are monitoring traffic from all over the world. And so when you know customer A in Singapore gets hit by something, they can immediately learn from that and apply that knowledge to protect all of the other customers around the world. In a similar way, like you know, like I say, like a CISO, a virtual CISO has already done things and knows kind of what works, what doesn't work, um, and brings that knowledge to the table so that you're not trying to do everything from scratch. Yeah, it, it's essentially a, uh, a one person or a one company CISO ISAC, um, where that, you know, that company or that individual C virtual CISO can share information and lessons learned across the entire portfolio of companies that they're managing. And that's, you know, that's a huge benefit because that's something as an individual company, you would probably be paying a lot of money for your full-time resource to join these peer groups and uh -huh. share the information amongst the peers. Whereas you could, uh, leverage a virtual CISO who would already be plugged in to additional customers in your vertical or across same lines of business that can bring that information to bear as part of their contract cost. Right. And, and, and ultimately that contract cost ends up being, you know, a significant savings for the company. And I, I don't, I don't, I won't even pretend to understand the arcane math that goes into that, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, for, for so, somehow, you know, paying contractors exorbitant amounts of money works out better for the company after you factor in things like healthcare and vacation time and, and everything else. But, uh, um, you know, so from my perspective, it seems like a win-win because I feel like I'm actually making more money, you know, than, than what they would pay me if I was a full-time employee. And yet, somehow, that's working out to the in the company's benefit because they don't have to have all these all of these other sort of intangibles that go with having an employee. Yeah. Well, so I actually I started doing some of some of the math around the savings for a virtual CISO, and just high level. Um, so I did some research and found that the average chief information security officer salary across the United States, and this is average because obviously the big cities are going to be skewed um, to the higher end, but the average CISO salary is around 170000 US dollars a year. And if you were to hire a virtual CISO at, um, you know, let, let's say the, the rates that, that we use, uh, if you did one day per month of that virtual CISO, you're going to save around $177,000 versus a full-time employee. Um, 
that's factoring in, you know, vacation time, health care, and all the other uh, intangibles that go along with a full-time employee above and beyond their salary. Whereas if you did one day a week, it goes down to a savings of roughly 75000 a year. And that's still a significant savings for having a resource that is allocated to your organization one full day every week of every month of every year. Um, you know, I, I would be amazed to find a company that didn't see 75000 dollars in savings as a good thing to have yeah yeah well like i said you know and i, I and i just i actually just had this conversation with someone earlier uh, uh regarding a different topic but i use it as an example often which is uh as soon as microsoft introduced office 365 i i've been a fan since day one and i would break down the math and i'd be like well i don't understand why anyone would Buy buy Office the old-fashioned way, where you're licensing it on a per-machine basis for 400 bucks per you know copy of Office, and now you've got to get your own servers and host your own Exchange server and your own SharePoint, and that's now it's your problem when the server goes down. You've got to keep it updated. You've got to keep it patched and protected. And all these things. I'm like, or you pay Microsoft like you know seven bucks a month, <laughs> and you just have Office and the whole and and Microsoft is doing the whole. You know, infrastructure backend, and you're you're kind of getting like Microsoft, you know, thrown in for free as your IT department, and uh, you know, it just seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, and it, you know, people have have a tendency to want to have that control. So think to uh, financial services industry, where they said, you know, we're never going to adopt cloud, we're never going to move workloads into cloud because we need to have it in data centers because we don't trust security blah, 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 and now they're moving stuff to cloud and they're doing it in a big way because they're, they understand that their, circu- their security concerns weren't valid or are invalidated by the tools that are available. And uh, you know, in some cases it may be more secure in a cloud environment than in their data center. Yeah. And all the cost savings, it's... I, I've seen studies that say that, uh, that it's actually that it's more secure. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of variables there in terms of like, well, you know, it's up to you. How did you, know, did you secure it or not? Um, but uh, well, whose who's propaganda you believe the, the most? Right. Well, I was going to say some, someone might have also like whispered in their ear and said, between you and me, the cloud is just a data center that's somewhere else. Yeah. But it's somewhere else that you don't have to manage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, you don't have to pay a full-time exchange server admin anymore. That's someone else's job. That's well, that's true. Uh, you know, and it, you know, there there are uh, you know, I, I talk about and write about frequently about you know cloud security, and and there there's a lot of misunderstandings there too in terms of people. You know, I, it's 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 decreasing. I think people are learning, but initially, I think people were like, oh well, you know, I, I'm I'm putting all of my stuff in Rackspace or I'm putting all of my stuff in AWS or I'm putting all of my stuff in, you know, Microsoft Azure and now it's their problem and they're, they're securing it. And it's like, well, no, (laughs) they're, they're going to secure their stuff. I mean, so you are getting, you are, you are offloading some of the burden, but you know, it's a, it's a shared responsibility model of, you know, if Microsoft is providing the servers and the backend infrastructure, yeah, sure. They're going to keep that up to date and they're going to keep that protected. 
but every virtual server you you run on there and all your data and everything that you do on there, that's still your problem. Yeah. Plus the data center's PCI compliant, so I'm PCI compliant now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of you know. Yeah, I think misunderstanding and I, and I, I want to say it's even like sort of a, uh, almost intentional misunderstanding like I you know I'm just it, it's real easy to just kind of kind of push that off and be like oh, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna let them handle the security yeah um, you know and, and I don't know some of them some of them might be willing to but it'll cost you it's like uh, you know <laughs> it always cracks me up when you see like the uh, car insurance commercials where they talk about how you know like accident forgiveness you know we're, we're not going to raise your rates if you get in, the, in 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 your first accident and i'm like yeah but you're charging for that <laughs> you're charging me for the privilege of not being charged yeah. in the event of my first accident <laughs> and if i never have an accident now i've just paid you for the for you know 20 30 40 years of my life i've given you this money to offset the the accident i never had uh you know so yeah none, none of that stuff is free um Let's. Uh, so I want to. Uh, if you have anything else you want to talk about with virtual CISOs, we can we can talk about that too. So feel free. But uh, I want uh, to uh, kind of digress a little bit. Um, you, you talked about how you know, you're 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 in Austin. Uh, you're the company you're working with is in Denver, um, and you know so you're working remotely, virtual. I don't know. Um, I guess when I'm done rambling, you can let me know, uh, like if you have an arrangement where like, you, you know, you're going to Denver once a month or once a quarter or just on an ad hoc basis or whatever. Um, but in general, I, 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 I think more companies should be open to that sort of an arrangement. And I'm a little surprised we're not farther along on that by now. Um, I mean, I've worked from home most of the time for the last 20 years. But I've had like different, you know, depending on the situation, depending on the manager, I've had different situations where, you know, there's a manager who's like, well, I want you to be here. You know, I want you to drive into work every day and sit here in this desk. And it's like, well, why? (laughs) There's nothing nothing that I'm doing that requires me to sit at that desk. And now you're wasting my time three hours a day in, in traffic to and from work. And you know all these all these other you know factors involved and and for me personally I find when you force me to come to the office you actually get less of my time because you know a there's the driving to and from work factor but b when I work from home you know I roll out of bed at five six in the morning and I sit down at my desk and I get to work you know in my pajamas you know I get my coffee and I'm I'm working and then you know it it. It gets to be they, dinner time. They upon that when you do that at your desk. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, I take a break at dinner, and then I might go back to you know get get some more work done. It's like I when I'm working from home, I don't have, I don't care about the time boundaries. I'm not like watching the clock and thinking, nope, sorry, you've got you've had enough of my time. I'm done now. Um, I just work until you know for, for the work that needs to be done. When you make me come into the office, I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Yep, <laughs> like you got your eight to five. I'm done. Time to drive home in traffic for two hours. Right, and if you call me at seven, I'm not picking up the phone. Like, no, you had me for eight, for eight to five. There's no more. There's no more work today. Honestly, so a couple of things. I've I've worked remotely uh, 
off and on for a number of years too. And I think it takes a certain kind of person to do it because it, you know, you have to learn to avoid the distractions. Um, I have two dogs and the good thing about having two dogs and the bad thing is that when they want to go out, it's a forced break for me, um, which means I've got to drop everything that I'm doing or at least wrap it up and then go spend some time with them outside at the dog park. So it's great that it gets me out, but it also interrupts my work day. Uh, the, the other, th so having the discipline to actually work while at home, as opposed to say watching TV for half the day and then putting a half day's work in, not everyone can do it. I worked with, uh, one guy when I was at open DNS and he worked for Adobe for a few years and he worked from his apartment and he absolutely hated it. He needed that personal connection, like that water cooler talk. He just couldn't handle working alone. He was going crazy. So he requested to be brought back into the office. Uh, and I guess they, they actually made it happen for him, but everyone else wanted to work from home except him. Whereas, you know, I could, take it either way. Um, I, I think that if your manager says you have to be there because he expects you to be there or they expect you to be sitting in that chair, that to me says that that person probably isn't that great a manager and doesn't have a lot of faith in you or has had a bad experience in the past with employees where they've not worked hard when unsupervised, but really it, it's also on that manager to understand that this is the new way of the world. Some people have to or prefer to work at home because they're more productive and they need to change their management style and capabilities to accommodate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do say like, there certainly is value to, to camaraderie and FaceTime and, you know, actually meeting and spending some time with your coworkers and, and, and exchanging ideas face to face. And I mean, a lot of that has been uh, offset by the fact that, you know, video conferencing is so prevalent. And, you know, I mean, I've got WebEx, Zoom, BlueJeans, Skype, you know, I mean, you name it, they're all installed on my computer. Um, and, we, you know, I'm doing video meetings all the, all the time. Um, so there is there is face time but uh but you know I, I i go into the office you know a few few days a week and uh and and there is a different vibe in terms of you know being there in person and, and hanging out with those people um the caveat i would say uh, i don't i don't disagree with the idea that you know there are people who would be just too distractible or too you know whatever and, and not and maybe not be as productive at home but to go back to what i was saying earlier, I feel like the perception of productivity is inflated for the people who are at work. Like they're not nearly as productive just because they're there doesn't mean you're getting more than a half day's work out of them. Yeah, I would agree with that because there's the social factor, the getting up and walking around and you know, having having lived in the Bay Area, there are so many distractions from group yoga to catered lunches that end up being a two-hour lunch break. There's just a lot of things to distract you that wouldn't distract you when you're at home. Yeah, and you can you can chalk that up to 
having a great culture, um, but you'd be very hard pressed to defend expenses on culture to your CFO and to your board of directors. <laughs> yeah, I was saying it was like, yeah, so yeah, you've you've got uh, you know, dogs need to go out. It's time to go to the dog park. Time that that can cut into your day, but you know, Bob at the office is you know hanging out talking about uh, the basketball game for an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah, and I remember back to one of my first jobs doing dial-up tech support, and we were always so upset that the smokers ended up getting more break time because they'd say, oh, I need to go have a smoke. And we're like, well, screw this. We're going to take up smoking. We want more time off. We're going to start smoking. And a bunch of them did. <laughs> Just so well, they could get that after break time. So, funny story. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in the Air Force, um, uh, towards the, the, the tail end of when I was in the Air Force, but when I was, I was at uh, Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico, and uh, one of my one of my friends, coworkers, and I had the exact same thought. We're like, well, we're like the only two non-smokers here, and everyone's taking these like fifteen-minute breaks once an hour, and so we just you know, we we just started started taking non-smoking breaks. Like we didn't take up smoking. We just were like, well, if you're taking a break, we're taking a break. You know, we'll all take a break. And, you know, it's like because because it, it is. You know, you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, because you've gotten addicted to a nasty habit, you only have to work three fourths of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, take my scheduled meth break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so so. You know, the pros and cons that, you know, that we just talked about aside, you know, one of the other things that I think companies should consider and should look at when when weighing those pros and cons is how much bigger the talent pool would be. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've done a number of interviews with companies in the Bay Area who are like, you know, well, you know, your, your, your resume is great. This is great. That's great. We'd love to make you an offer. You know, can you move to San Francisco? I'm like, no. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, uh, it's just, you know, not, not something that works with, uh, with my, my family dynamic. And, you know, and for them, that was a deal breaker. And so those things didn't go anywhere. And I was like, oh, and I was always like, well, that's, that's too bad, but that's an arbitrary decision you're making because there's nothing about the job that makes it a deal breaker. And so when I was when I was the CISO at Data Gravity, they were in Nashua, New Hampshire, so just over the border uh, between Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And they flew me out there for my face-to-face -face interview after doing all the phone calls. And uh, they asked me, they're like, "Oh, well, are, are you going to want to move to Nashua?" And they had just received like four feet of snow. <laughs> and my response was, you know what? I'm Canadian. Uh, I've seen enough snow. I'm going to stay in California if that's cool with everyone. And they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. As long as you get the work done. I'm like, yeah, no, no problem. I, I don't need any more snow in my life. I'm fine. And that worked well for a little over a year before they got acquired. And uh, yeah, we I would fly there once a month, fly into Logan, rent a car, drive up to Nashua, stay for the week and I got a lot done. Actually, I probably got less done in the office um, than I did working remotely just because of the travel time and the social aspect. But it was still valuable to have that 
FaceTime for meetings and additional decisions. Uh, I will say what did help me is they, uh, because the CEO, she was a, an engineer by trade and kind of a computer robotics nerd. She bought me one of those point of presence uh, robots with the iPad for the face. Oh, yeah. So I could drive around the office when I was back in San Francisco and attend meetings as myself. Um, little did I know that one Halloween, they actually put a princess dress on a <laughs> coat hanger and hung it from my robot and didn't tell me until after Halloween that they had done that. <laughs> <laughs> See, you can, you can work remote and still be the subject of, of office pranks. Or of ridicule, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so another, another uh, benefit, so aside from opening up to the, the talent pool, also, like similar to the way, you know, I, I don't know if they still do it as much, but, you know, it was a big thing for a while. But the way companies, you know, often outsource, you know, to Asia, to India or whatever and be like, oh, well, we can go. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, go I'm going to go have this software developed for a fraction of the cost because I can pay these guys pennies on the dollar. Um, you can't do pennies on the dollar, but you can do a similar thing. Like if you're a Bay Area company. And the job that you're hiring for doesn't necessarily require that someone show up at the office and sit in that cubicle. You can hire someone in rural Montana. Yeah. All for, they need a stable for, for a fraction of the cost of what you need to pay someone in the Bay Area. Yeah. And their quality of life will be better. So they'll in turn be more productive and happier. And, you know, it's kind of win-win for everyone. Yeah. So... So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you and I have just established a model for the for the future of corporations. It's a yeah. combination of uh, fractional executives who work part time from another state. Yeah, we'll just take point zero four percent off of every paycheck and uh, in perpetuity, and that's how we'll fund it. Works for me. Sounds, sounds like a good plan. So. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we'll kind of wrap it up there, but I, I appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time to, to join me. Uh, I know it's your first first summer in uh, in Texas, first summer in Houston or Austin. So, uh, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone looks at me like I'm crazy when I tell them that I keep the apartment at 68 degrees. It's like it's a temperature they've never heard of before. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the the big thing when I came to Houston is everyone talking about, oh, is it is it's so humid there? Like you gotta watch out for the humidity. And I came from Detroit, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure the humidity's the same, like percentage wise. I, like I've never I've never felt it as being humid, real or any more humid than what I was used to. Hmm. Um, you know, so I guess to some people it's humid. Uh, I don't notice the humidity as much as I would notice the drier heat. You know, like, it, you know, like I think Austin's probably drier than Houston, you know, or like when you get go to Las Vegas or Phoenix or whatever, and it's just ungodly dry. Yeah. Well, my wife was actually in Vegas over the weekend, and she said it was so nice to have that nice warm heat without any humidity. And then as soon as she stepped off the plane back in Austin, she's like, oh, yeah, humidity. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So... All right. Well, thank you. And uh, take care. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast. 
but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.